This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Before I introduce our speaker, here's what I want to say to you. And I pray that you know this, that I personally, in Gateway, stands firmly and solidly against any form of racism. We stand against any form of oppression, against any individual, and against any group. We are called to walk out this life as followers of Jesus in the way that the Bible calls us to. Um, so what's our biblical worldview? And that, in the Bible that we follow, we depend upon, calls us to love everyone and to value others even, even better than ourselves and to see each one as image bearers of Jesus, of, of God. And so we do that, and that's our call. Well, good morning. I'm glad that you guys are here, and I hope you're glad to be here. Um, this is something of a homecoming for me, and I, I know that I, there are going to be many friendly faces in the, the audience today, and so I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that you guys were going to come. Um, you know, when, I, when, we, when we scheduled this a couple months ago or whatever it was, I was thinking, you know, I, I'd actually moved it from next weekend to this weekend for my schedule, and, he, uh, and I was thinking, well, it's the middle of August, that's kind of prime vacation season in Washington, there's probably not even going to be anybody there. And I was expecting that people would be otherwise engaged. But uh, I'm thrilled to see that some people are interested in this conversation. And, you know, the, the truth is, uh, th- this question, is, is critical race theory biblical? Um, for those of you who are interested in that question, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. But I hope that the course of this conversation would allow us to basically apply this to any conversation that we have. Because the goal of our lives as, uh, as believers is to ask the question, is Blank biblical. Is everything biblical? And that's the framework through which we approach our lives. And so that's the goal today is to figure out if critical race theory. And I have lost the cursor on my screen. Okay, it's back. It's going to make it easier for me to like do things. So um, the starting assumptions for our conversation today. For those of us who are Christians, the foundation of this conversation and basically every conversation we ever have. First thing we need to understand, God created us, right? If, you, if you're struggling with that one, this conversation is going to be confusing. Second, he knows what's best for us, okay? That's our second assumption. And our third assumption is the Bible is true and holds the key to human flourishing. If God knows what's best for us, he has actually made that knowable to us. And that truth as revealed to us in scripture, actually contains the key to human flourishing for your life, for my life, for our nation, for the world, for our community, for the library, wherever it is, the truth of scripture holds the key to human flourishing. To the extent that we apply it to our lives, it goes better for us. To the extent that we try to reject that, as we did in Genesis chapter 3 and have been doing ever since, we create trouble for ourselves, right? That's the human story. We are all... We are all um, We are all oppressors in that sense, and that we have rejected God, and we have gone our own way, and we have contributed to the pain in the world. The beauty of Scripture is that God has provided answers for us. Now, because we are in a spiritual battle, 
We know, and Scripture reveals this to us in many ways, bad ideas exist. And this is also part of the foundation. I want to talk just a couple ways which Scripture reveals this to us. In, in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, so Paul, in this letter to the Colossians, is recognizing the spiritual war between good and evil, truth and lies, that always exists, and recognizing that in the world, we are always being exposed to things that are not true. There are people for good and out of good motives, and sometimes out of very bad motives, who are trying to deceive us, to tell us things that aren't true for their gain, for our harm, some combination of the two of those. That's always happening. Ephesians 4.14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. And I love kind of the imagery of James uses this also about being a ship, a ship blown about in the, by, the, by the wind, by human cunning, by craftiness in evil schemes. That we need to understand the truth. We have to have our anchor firmly in the word of God because there are all sorts of doctrines ideas, philosophies that are trying to pull us away from that. This is not a new experience. Critical race theory is not the first time something has ever come up that might be inconsistent with the gospel, and you probably came up with something last week. So, right, we're all going to kind of own this in various ways. So, what is critical race theory? And I'm going to do the answer to this question a terrible injustice, because we could really take about three days trying to argue trying to figure this out. And there is, as best I can tell, there is no consensus answer to this question, even among the proponents of critical race theory. I have thrown up there, and you probably can't read it because it's very small. This is the Wikipedia definition, and I go to Wikipedia just so you know this isn't like some like right-wing cabal definition of what critical race theory is. And I'll read this to you. It's, it's obtuse, and it's kind of hard to like get through, but just for this purpose of the exercise. Critical race theory is a body of legal scholarship and academic movement of U.S. civil rights scholars and activists who seek to critically examine the intersection of race and U.S. law and challenge the mainstream American liberal approaches to racial justice. CRT examines social, cultural, legal issues primarily as they relate to race and racism in the United States. Got it? Right? So that again, there's so much to say about what this means. And, and there is a great debate within the critical race theory debate about whether critical race theory is simply a tool that allows us to understand and examine whether racism exists and what role it's played in our country, or whether critical race theory is a worldview. And the reality is, both people are kind of probably right in, in the sense that they want it to be right, because we're fighting about a definition and there's no actual fixed definition of these things. And it has been used as a way to examine things, but the most of our conversation is going to be about what the implications of its assumptions are and how that does lead to a worldview, how it leads to a set of assumptions, it leads to a hierarchy in the way we prioritize things that are important in life that are not consistent with the hierarchy in the values that we see God wants for us in Scripture. So, I'm going to do my best to outline this in a way that is, um, that is, um, that would be accepted by proponents of, of critical race theory as we kind of just describe what this is so we have a target that we're going to kind of try to deal with and, and be able to define this. So there are four claims of critical race 
theory that we're going to discuss. There, might, there, there are certainly more than this, but these four kind of, I think, uh, describe what we're dealing with. First, there is a social binary of oppressed and oppressors. We're not going to get into the heritage of this. Uh, Karl Marx was basically the, the critical theorist. Understand him to be the first kind of real critical theorist. Uh, he never used that term, but he kind of really, in a, in a different context outside of race, uh, framed the world in terms of oppressors and the oppressed. And so critical theory sets up the world that we live in. There are oppressors and there are oppressed and significantly, the oppressors are always trying to oppress the oppressed. That's kind of the starting assumption about the way the world operates. The second thing they say, this oppression happens in part through ideology, which is called hegemonic power. Now, what in the world is hegemonic power? And I actually have some quotes here that I'm not going to spend the time to read because it's, it's just too academic and we got too much other stuff to go, go through. But basically, in my house... My kids and I are the hegemonic powers for our dogs, right? We determine how things go. And in the same way, my wife and I are the hegemonic powers in our household for our children. Hegemonic power is a real thing. It exists. Um, but critical race theory sets up hegemonic power always as, as a problem and something to be overthrown because it's used in, in bad ways. And again, I, I talked about these quotes that I'm not actually going to read. If you want to read them, you can come see these later, kind of from critical race theorists' uh, perspective, talking about what hegemonic power is. But essentially, it's this idea that there are powerful people within a dynamic, and they kind of set the rules. They define what common sense is. They, they define what normative is. And that kind of thing does exist. The third claim of CRT. Lived experience gives the oppressed special access to the truth. So in this framework, your experience is true to you. My experience is true to me. And we have to defer to other people's experience as the, the, the ultimate truth, even if it, it may collide with other ways in which truth could be described and defined. And we're going to talk about that as we go. And, and actually, I real, will read this. Margaret Anderson, um, the idea that objectivity, and this is describing this phenomenon within CRT, the idea that objectivity is best reached only through rational thought is a Western and masculine way of thinking, one that we will challenge throughout this book, right? So typically, we think about truth and false, right and wrong, and they're saying that is a Western idea, a Western masculine idea, and there's other ways of finding the truth. This quote, Cooper Thomas, can white men understand oppression, um, also says this, also makes this point. Heterosexual white men in this society tend to have a dualistic view of the world. We are either right or wrong, winners or losers. There is only one truth, and we will fight with one another to determine whose truth is right. To understand oppression requires that we accept others' experiences as truthful, even though they may be very different from ours. To live with equality in a diverse, plural, pluralistic society, we have to accept the fact that all groups and individuals have a legitimate claim to what is true and real for them. Okay? That's the fourth claim. Uh, actually, that's the third claim. The fourth claim of CRT. Social justice demands liberation of the oppressed groups. And so when we talk about critical race theory, there's three words. There's critical, race, and theory. We all know what a theory is, right? It tries to explain something. A critical theory 
tries to explain something but also have a solution, that there is a, there is a proposed solution to this. So critical theory is distinct from critical race theory. But critical theory always sets up the oppressors and the oppressed. But then when you layer critical race theory on top of critical theory, it defines the categories of oppressed and oppressors based on your race. That is essentially critical race theory. And this is important to understand. And this actually might be helpful for some, and it might be frustrating for some. Critical race theorists do not define racism the same way you do. You and I have grown up most of our lives thinking the racists are people who put white hoods on their, on their hats and they burn crosses in people's yards and they use terrible language to refer to people. They think of themselves as better than other people because of the color of their skin. That is not how critical race theorists see racism. And I'm going to give you a great example from yesterday to explain why. This is a headline in the Los Angeles Times. Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. You've been warmed. Now, for those of you who don't know what's going on here, Larry Elder is running for governor in California. There's a recall election against Gavin Newsom. Larry Elder has put himself on the ballot as one of the alternatives to Gavin Newsom. Larry Elder is right of center on most things. He's kind of libertarian on some social issues. But they, from their framework, Larry Elder is the face of white supremacy despite being a black person because he does not agree with their solution to the problem of oppression. He doesn't agree with all their proposed policies. And because they see oppression, and because they have defined racism, so that racism is not believing you're better than somebody else or treating somebody terribly because of the color of their skin, it's, it's inequity in, the, the way, in outcomes based on skin color. So if in any, any inequity exists, it is necessarily racist, regardless of the intentions of anyone involved. Therefore, anybody who does not agree with their solutions to solve the inequity is upholding racists, thereby they are racist people, right? So it might make you feel better to know that despite, that they don't mean that you sit around and think terrible things about people when they say you're racist. You're just racist because you aren't as active as they are in trying to solve problems in the same way they are. Now, where the Bible and CRT agree, and I think this is important because in every idea that is ultimately not true, it is effective and deceptive because it has elements of things that are true, right? And so we want to understand where is there any overlap with, uh, w- with Scripture. And the first one is, injustice affects groups, not just individuals. This is an emphasis of uh, the critical race theorists, and this is also true. Chattel slavery was not just an offense against individuals. It was an offense against a class of people. The Holocaust was not just an offense against individual Jewish people. It was, a, it was systemic against a whole group of people based on that group identity. So that dynamic definitely exists. The second thing, hegemonic power is real. And I d- d- discussed that um, in a moment or, or, or earlier. But the fact that it's real... Um, standards of beauty. There's a hegemonic power that is told us generally, those of us who are are parents of teenage daughters, right? We're trying to push back on this hegemonic concept of what makes you beautiful because media and magazines and everything they see on Instagram is telling them this is what beauty is, but you're trying to say, no, 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 no. That's not beauty. This is beauty as God defined it, right? This is fleeting and this is temporary. This is actual beauty, Moral relativism is a hegemonic value system. 
that has been created by the culture. You can do whatever you want. They've created this common sense. Of course, I can do whatever I want as long as nobody else gets hurt. Hegemonic power exists and is real. Those influences, and they come different places, of course. And the third point where the Bible and CRT agree, God hates oppression. And this needs to be emphasized. And we'll read some of the scripture about this. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. Right? God hates oppression. The fourth way that CRT and the Bible agree God wants us to come to the aid of the oppressed. And this is really important. Christianity is not passive. The gospel is not passive. It doesn't allow us to just sit back and say, oh, that's too bad. Do not have any part with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. We'll see what uh, David wrote about this in the Psalms. Give justice. This is the, the active part of Christianity. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Right? We can't sit by when we see things that are wrong happening. Open your mouths for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. So there is overlap. And because we, because the gospel calls us to oppose injustice, that's where there's, that's where people look at something like critical race theory and say, hey, they're trying to stop oppression. Jesus is trying to stop oppression. We must be on the same team. And in some sense, we are on the same team because we've identified similar things that are wrong, but there are also some challenges. And that's where we get into the next part of this, where the Bible and CRT disagree. Well, first point, while the Bible roots our identity in being image bearers of God, CRT roots our identity in our race. And this is really important. For those of you who have ever read St. Augustine, you might know something about ordered loves is that it's okay for me to love ice cream. It's okay for me to like, love football. It's just not okay for me to love ice cream and football more than God and my wife, right? You can love different things in different ways, and you have to keep those things in order. And that's so it is with our identity. Things that affect your life. These things are totally relevant to you and your kid's life. Your athletic ability. Studies have shown athletes, people who compete in high school athletics, do better in life than people who don't on balance. Attractiveness. We know that this is relevant to all sorts of things. Intelligence. People with 180 IQ do better in life with people with an 80 IQ. Race. It's relevant. It matters in ways that it shouldn't, but it does. Your parents' marriage, especially today. The best privilege that you can have in the world, in a, at least in the Western world, is having your parents who raised you and stayed together their whole lives. One of the best privileges that exists in the world. Height. This actually matters. I'm going to show you this. Forbes magazine, April of 2020. To be exact, the research estimates that each additional centimeter of height is associated with a 1.3% increase in annual income. In other words, a person who is 5 feet 6 inches, making $50,000 per year, would expect to make about 2,000 more if you were 5 foot 7 and 4,000 more if they were 5 feet 8. Okay? So we all have a height. And that height, we may not have known it until right now, is relevant to how your life has happened 
or will happen, okay? The question is, what is the most important thing about you? Because those of us who might be smaller than average might be frustrated to know this, does that mean that I now need to see myself, my, my primary identity, I compare myself to everyone else based on my height compared to their height? Oh, you're 6'3", therefore, you know, we're at war, right? Even though that is a real thing. The, the numbers tell us that a person who is 6'3", is more likely to make more money than me. Is that always the case? Of course not. But that's the data. And so the question is, what is the most important part of our identity? The Bible has a different sense of who we are. How the Bible unites humanity in our identity. It says three things about us. First, all human beings are made in God's image. All human beings are naturally dead in our sin. All human beings need salvation in Christ. The fact that our, our identity is rooted in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God made us in his image. He made us. That means the most important thing about us is not our height, is not our intelligence, is not our athletic ability, it's not our race, it's not our parents' marital status, it's the fact that we were made in his image. Now, all of those other things matter. It's even okay to be proud of athletic ability or height or race or whatever that is. But we can't put those things above the thing that God said is most important. And why does that matter? Because if we prioritize our height or our race or our marital status or whatever that is, we have inherently divided ourselves. Other people are different than me. The thing, I, the, the thing that defines me most specifically puts me at odds with somebody else. The gospel has a very different answer to how we view ourselves. When we first see ourselves as people who are made in the image of God, who are all dead in our sins, who are all in need of salvation in Christ, that unites everybody that you will ever meet. The most important thing about me makes me just like everybody in this room, everybody in this world. The most important thing about me makes me that way. CRT provides a very different answer. Now, why is this, these things, the fact that we're made in God's image, that we're dead in sin, and we're all in need of Jesus. These doctrines of human solidarity are the reason Christianity opposes racism, sexism, and classism. They are also the reason Christianity opposes critical theory, and for the exact same reasons. Because we cannot primarily see ourselves as anything other than people made in the image of God in need of Jesus. It's why we can't be racist. It's why we can't support critical theory. Because it requires us to see ourselves at odds as different than people that God says, no, you're all just like each other. The second point, the Bible says God is the final and objective source of truth. CRT disagrees. Theologians would refer to this as a different epistemology. There's a couple ways this happens, and I'm going to illustrate this uh, through a tweet from Union, Union Seminary. I don't know how many of you follow Union Seminary, but they're really fun on Twitter. The second part of this, and I'll just highlight the part that, I've, that I have circled there. It says, and this is again a seminary, right? So they're supposed to be teaching people about the Bible. They say, while divinely inspired... We deny the Bible is inerrant and infallible. It was written by men over centuries and thus reflects both God's truth and human sin and prejudice. We affirm the biblical scholarship and critical theory help us discern which messages are God's. So they take the Bible and they say, we're going to t 
take all this critical theory and we're going to view the scripture through the lens of critical theory and determine which of this is God and which of this is man, right? So it's hard when you see this to argue that it's not a different worldview because it has a different foundation of the ultimate source of truth. Now, there's another way this happens. Critical race theory evaluates the truth of a claim after assessing the motives of the one making the claim. And I'm going to make this point through an example. Truth claim. You should forgive that person. Of course, we don't know what the context is, but that's the claim. You should forgive that person. <clears throat> Thinking biblically, your evaluation of that truth claim that someone has made is, does Jesus want me to forgive them? This is not a particularly complicated biblical answer. I've done an easy one. It's hard sometimes, but it's not complicated, right? But that's the biblical evaluation. Does that truth claim comport with what I know Jesus has revealed to us? CRT does a different evaluation. They will first evaluate, what are the motives? What are their motives in telling me I should forgive them? What are they trying to do? Now, I, as by most standards, an oppressor, Actually, by all standards. I'm in the oppressed class by all standards that CRT has. So I am, an, I am kind of a quintessential oppressor. So what they would say, if I told you to forgive someone, your response to me as a critical theorist would be, you're just trying to preserve your power. I want you to forgive and forget and let that move on because I want to continue, continue to control and dominate you. And your forgiveness serves my purpose in maintaining power and authority over you. That's the evaluation. Therefore, you are not obligated to consider the merits of my claim on its own. However, if I am not the white, heteronormative, Christian, conservative that I am, and I was somehow in an oppressed category, here's the evaluation for you as a critical theorist who's just been told to forgive someone. You would say, you're suffering from an internalized oppression you've been so thoroughly immersed in the dominant power structure that you're unable to recognize this. So even people who are oppressed, who say things that defend the patriarchy, that defend the white supremacist institutions, you can dismiss their arguments despite the fact that they are in the oppressed class because they have internalized oppression. They've been so immersed in the oppressive environment that they are actually parroting the arguments of the oppressive environment. And in that case, you are also free to ignore any claims that they make about forgiveness because they're still serving the purpose of the oppressed, of the oppressors. That's how truth is evaluated. And of course, those are very different ways. Um, the truth is the truth, even if a liar says it, is how... Was that uh, Mark Twain? Is he the one who came up with that? Whatever it was. The third point. The Bible applies the same moral standard to everyone. CRT has a different moral standards for different people. I'm going to illustrate this with the curious case of Sarah Jong. She was hired by the New York Times a couple years ago. Uh, for the, and uh, in the process, some things that she had tweeted out became public knowledge. She said, oh man, it's kind of sick how much I enjoy getting, at, how much joy I get out of being cruel to white old men. That same year, are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? Now, this is, these are the ones without profanity, so I figured I could read these at church. Um, but these are things that we probably agree, I mean, it's unkind 
at a bare minimum, if this was targeted at any other group, everybody would refer to this as racist, right? This would be racist. Now, but mind you, this is not racist, despite the appearance of this being racist, and here's why. Zach, Poch, Zach Beauchamp, who's a writer for Vox, which is a publication you may not know about, and if you don't, bless you, but he wrote it, and this is what he, he said, the underlying power structure in American society is what these, differentiates these tweets, referring to Sarah Jong's tweets, from actual racism. Despite the appearance of them being racist, they are not racist because they are targeted at the oppressed class. Therefore, it's okay. Prayers of a weary black woman, and this is a little longer thing that I'm going to read to you, but I think it's important because it illustrates the same point. This is a collection of prayers. It's interesting that they use that word. And I'm going to read um, an excerpt from one of them. And it says, Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least to want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls, to stop believing that they can be better, that they can stop being racist. My prayer is that you would help me to hate the other white people, you know, the nice ones, the Fox News-loving, Trump-supporting voters who don't see color but make thinly-veiled racist comments about those people, the people who are happy to have me over for dinner but alert the neighborhood watch anytime an unrecognized person of color passes their house, the people who welcome black people in their churches and small groups but brand us as heretics if we suggest that Christianity is concerned with the poor and the oppressed. The people who politely tell us that we can leave when we call out the racial microaggressions we experience in their ministries. In most contexts, that's not kind. But in this context, it's appropriate because it's directed at the right, white, at the right people. As a moral, when we evaluate these things from a moral perspective, who you're directing that at doesn't really matter. God, please help me to hate these people is in conflict with basically all of Scripture. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. How many times should we forgive? Seventy times seven. Or, God, help me to hate white people. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things while in the body, whether good or bad. God will repay each person, not according to what color they are and who their comments were directed to, but according to what they have done. I'm going to move on to number four very quickly. I am running out of time. The fourth point, the fourth way that they conflict. The Bible assigns moral responsibility to those who are oppressed, even in their oppression. And this should be difficult for all of us because every one of us has been oppressors and every one of us has been oppressed in certain dynamics and certain ways in our lives. And I want to remind us what God says our responsibility is in those moments when life is hard for us, when we are being treated unjustly. And remember, Jesus is the most unjustly treated person that ever lived. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which spitefully use you and persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 44. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Very, very different way of dealing with the sins, the difficulties that life presents at us. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And fifth, critical theory is built on the rejection of hegemonic power. The Bible demands surrender to the hegemonic power of God. 
Heaven is one giant hegemonic scenario and narrative. The Bible is one giant hegemonic story. In the beginning, God. That's the beginning of the hegemony. And I'm just going to read the last one because I'm out of town. Therefore, also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As Christians, we're not opposed to hegemonic authority. We're opposed to hegemonic authority being in the hands of anyone other than Jesus. Summary. Why critical theory isn't biblical. It gives us an unbiblical, definition, an unbiblical identity. It misidentifies our biggest problems. And it misidentifies the solution to our problem. Racism is not the biggest problem in the world. Sin is. Racism is the fruit of the tree. It is not the tree. Even if we were all the same color, we would all find out ways to try to make ourselves feel better than other people and mistreat each other because we're all sinners and pride is the root of the problem. Should we fight racism? Absolutely. Will we eradicate racism? No. For the same reason we won't er eradicate every other form of sin because it's not going to be done until Jesus comes and finishes it and restores all things. That's our hope. Now, do we fight evil? Do we fight oppression? Absolutely. But we keep it in context. None of this, none of this means racism isn't real. For those of us who are fortunate to live in America, we have privilege. Our lives are different because of our skin color. There are people today in their 60s who grew up in environments where they weren't allowed to go to school with white kids. There are people in their 30s and 40s whose parents and grandparents were beaten by the Klan. Some of them were lynched. They hear these stories from their family. That matters. 100 years ago, while my, my, while my great-grandparents were buying property on South Puget Sound, there were a lot of people whose grandparents couldn't buy anything because it was against the law. Does that affect my life today? Absolutely. Is that an advantage? Absolutely it is. Does that, is that part of our story? Absolutely it is. But the gospel also provides a way to deal. We can't go back in time and fix things. But we must be slow to speak and quick to hear. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And these are difficult issues. And other people do not have the same experience as you. And you do not have the same experience as other people. And as believers, we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. We should be quick to bear one another's burdens. We don't have to agree with everybody's conclusion to recognize that life is hard for everybody. And ultimately, though, in, in, in our moments of sympathy and empathy and, and, and trying to be part of the solution and not part of the problem, we point them toward the only real solution to the problem. And that's Jesus. And the final point I'm going to make is that CRT encourages you to place your hope in the wrong place. That's fundamentally why it's a problem. Political revolution is not going to solve our world's problems. No election is going to solve our world's problems. The last guy had problems, this guy has problems, right? We're all aware of that. We can't put our hope there. The gospel is always putting, God is always putting his finger under our chin and turning our eyes upward. And there are so many things in life that are encouraging us to look down. To navel gaze or just look out and think about all these problems. And Jesus is the only one who can solve them. 
We, we misplace our hope in so many different ways, in our relationships, in our money, in our success, in our good looks, in whatever we think we have going for us, or our pain and our shame. We let that define us too. But the primary message I want you to take home today is not that critical race theory is a bad idea. There's lots of bad ideas. Lots of them. But that don't let anything into your life that takes your eyes off Jesus as the ultimate solution, and especially in the church. When something comes into the church and encourages us to try to look for political solutions to spiritual, eternal problems, don't be deceived. Keep your eye, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full to his wonderful grace for the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these uh, friends and thank you for your word which does reveal to us truth and the path of life. And we ask for your word to, uh, to sink deep into our hearts that, uh, that any error that I have spoken today, other people would forget quickly. And any truth that has been presented here today would, would uh, take a great root and that you would, in, in all of this, in a challenging world, um, show us the ways in which we are fixing our hope on the wrong things. And God, help us to be most committed not to exposing other people's lies, but to the lies in our own lives. And that we would uh, give ourselves wholly and completely to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.